Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. Take your scriptures, open to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, and we are reading verses 7 through 18. Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 18. Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by food regulations, since those who observe them have not benefited. We have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share for God is pleased with such sacrifices. This is the word of the Lord. As we approach this text today, we have a remember here in verse 7. And this is going to be the first point that we consider today. The first point, and I'll give all four of the points to you right now, just so uh, we don't lose track as we go along. The first point is remember and imitate. Remember and imitate. The second point, one thing that never changes. One thing that never changes. Our third point is called, this table is reserved. And the fourth point today, what sacrifices are acceptable? What sacrifices are acceptable? But we begin with remember and imitate. It says here, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. Uh, Who is the apostle talking about here? The leaders that he's referring to are leaders in the church who are probably already gone at this point. They're deceased. Uh, Perhaps some of them even were martyrs for their faith in Jesus Christ. Perhaps some of these leaders had paid the ultimate price for following Jesus. These were those first generation Christian leaders. They had faithfully communicated the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. 
Remember your leaders, the ones who spoke God's word to you. You know, sometimes my wife will say to me, she'll say, we really need to have an evening where we get the family photo albums out and just spend time with our children, remembering, remembering. It's a good thing. It's a necessary thing to remember. But I do want to point out that these Christians to whom the apostle was writing, they were not being called upon merely to fondly remember their leaders who were no longer with them as if they were pulling out the photo album and leafing through the pages. And no, it wasn't merely to fondly remember those who had taught them in the word and now had gone on to their reward. As important as that is, no, there was more here. Let's look at the text as we continue. Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. There was a reason for the remembering. Carefully observe the outcome of their lives. What was the outcome for these Christian leaders who had spoken God's word, who had spoken the gospel to them? Well, the outcome was hardship. The outcome was persecution. And perhaps for some of these leaders, the outcome had been martyrdom, death for the name of Jesus Christ. But these Christians are called upon to carefully observe the outcome of their lives and to imitate their faith. These leaders had faithfully finished their course of service to Christ and to Christ's church. And now the hearers are being called upon to remember that faithfulness, to carefully examine the fruit of that service, and to make that faith that their leaders had communicated by word and deed their own model for imitation. The Apostle Paul at one time had told the Ephesians, he said, be imitators of God as dear children. And to the Corinthians, he had said, um, imitate me because I am imitating Jesus. We need to look to godly leaders who speak God's word faithfully and imitate that faithfulness, imitate that faith that they model, make that our own model of faith. How many times... I have benefited from the method of teaching that simply says, watch me do this, and now you do the same. Perhaps you've benefited from that type of instruction at some point in your life too. Maybe it was instruction in sports, or maybe it was instruction in a hobby, or in a, in a particular skill that involved your work, your job, or, or maybe it was something even in Christian service or Christian ministry. Watch me do this. Okay, are you watching? Okay, now you do it the same way. You do it too. I've benefited from that. I think probably all of us have at some point. The apostle now reminds his hearers that there is one constant, one thing that is not variable by which they can order their lives. There is one thing that never changes. And that's our second point. Verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the constant. You know, leadership in the church 
will change from generation to generation. The story was told of a pastor who was retiring from one church because he was being called to another area of ministry. And, and a lady walked up to him and says, I just don't know how I'm going to make it here without you. And he said, that's all the more reason why I need to leave so that you can learn to trust and rely on Jesus Christ. Our trust isn't in human leaders as important and influential as they might be in our lives. That's not where our trust is placed. Leadership in the church will change from generation to generation. And there are cultural changes which the church will face from age to age and from place, place to place. The context will change, but one thing is constant. Jesus Christ, the Lord of the church, he's unchanging. And because he does not change, his gospel does not change. The message, the truth of God's word that was communicated by these early leaders, the apostle is calling upon his hearers now to remain true and hold fast to that truth that was communicated because Jesus Christ doesn't change. His gospel, his word doesn't change either. You know, back in old times, Sailors would chart their course by taking measurements of the horizon by comparing it to something that didn't move. The North Star, the Pole Star, was always there in the same place. It didn't change. It didn't move. It was the unchanging constant by which they could chart their course. In the same way, we can rely upon Jesus Christ as the constant by which we measure our lives and by which we measure every teaching that we encounter. Everything has to be measured against Jesus Christ and the teaching of his apostles. And you'll see that that's where this apostle is going here as we move into verse 9. He said, don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings. There will always be various kinds of strange teachings that will seek to draw your attention away from the teaching of Jesus and his apostles. Don't be led astray. These are teachings that are foreign to the unchanging gospel of the unchanging Lord, Jesus Christ. Don't be carried aside by these teachings, by any teachings that do not square up with the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all as Jude tells us in his little letter, Jude, verse 3. In short, hold fast. Hold fast to the teaching of Jesus' apostles. Measure everything by the unchanging standard of Jesus and his unchanging gospel. Continuing on in verse 9, it says, It is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by food regulations, since those who observe them have not benefited. Here the apostle is drawing the attention of his hearers to a very particular sort of strange teaching that they are probably encountering and being enticed by. Something regarding food regulations. He says it's good for the heart to be established or strengthened is another word. Strengthened by grace. God's grace. God's favor which was not earned by you and me. 
It's good for our hearts to be established in that grace, in that favor of God. And not by food regulations. You know, how shocking it must have seemed to some that heard the apostles state that the old covenant dietary regulations were to be considered as strange teachings. That is, teachings that are foreign to the gospel of Jesus Christ. These Christians to whom the apostle was writing had grown up fully immersed in the old covenant rituals. These old covenant rituals were requisite for observant faithful Jews under the old covenant. And now these rituals and observances, which had probably been deeply meaningful to many of these people for most of their lives, the apostle says these things are now to be regarded as foreign to the grace of God given through Jesus Christ. No doubt, there were some teachers who had begun to smuggle into the church these teachings regarding food regulations and old covenant ritual observances. And Paul warned about this danger in his letter to his associate, protege, and true son in the faith, Timothy. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 3. You don't need to turn to it, but I'll read it to you. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. The apostle says, Now the Spirit explicitly states that in later times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. Here in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul says, in later times, there's going to come teachers into the church who are going to teach people, well, yes, Jesus, but you also need to do this, don't do that, forbidding marriage, abstaining from certain foods. No. It is good for the heart to be established in the grace and favor of God, not in these rules and regulations. The Christian life that you live before God is not enhanced. It's not strengthened or established by resorting to rituals, regulations, and the sort. Your new life in Jesus Christ was entered into by grace, God's grace, his favor that was undeserved by any of us, that was unearned by any of us. You entered into this new life through God's grace when you placed your faith, that is, your trust in Jesus Christ. Having begun by grace, are you now to be made complete by the works of the law? Of course not. Having entered into this amazing new life of rightness with God through his spirit, are you now to be made complete by returning to fleshly shadow rituals concerning food and drink and the like? No, of course not. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23, the apostle Paul drives this point home. He says, Colossians 2, verse 16. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. 
Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Oh, just turn on Christian television. You can find all kinds of teachers who are claiming special visionary access to things that you don't know, but I can share with you. You need to buy my course, buy my DVDs, this, that, and the other thing. No, no. Leave that stuff alone. Don't be led astray and carried aside by that kind of stuff. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. This type of person doesn't hold on to the head, that is to Jesus, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. The point is this. Those who were under the old covenant were not made perfect by it. They didn't benefit. Those who persist in rejecting Jesus and the new covenant can't benefit because they can't partake of the new covenant's blessings. And that leads us into our third point. This table is reserved. This table is reserved. Moving into verse 10. The apostle says, We have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. I want to make clear what the apostle is not talking about here. He is not talking about the Lord's Supper or communion. What he is referring to is the various Old Testament sacrifices listed in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus was the priestly handbook for what sacrifices to offer and how to do it, down to the minute detail. Some of the sacrifices mentioned in the book of Leviticus are essentially communal meals. The animal is slain. The fat of the animal is burned upon the altar as the Lord's portion. Another portion of the, of the flesh is set aside for the priests who minister at the tabernacle or the temple. And the rest of the sacrifice is eaten by the one who brought it. It's a mealtime. It's a feast. That's how many of the sacrifices operated. Paul makes reference to this practice in his letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 9, 13. He said, don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar. Later on, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18. 10, 18. He says, consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? But there is a sacrifice spoken of in Leviticus that cannot be eaten. 
Leviticus chapter 16, an important chapter, provides information about the sacrifices associated with a feast day called the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, the priest offers sacrifices to make atonement or peace with God for the sins of the people and to cleanse the temple or the tabernacle of any pollution associated with the sins of the people. The blood of the sacrifice gets sprinkled upon the items of the sanctuary, that is the holy place of the tabernacle or temple, in order to purify it from the pollution of the people's sins. What about the sacrifice itself? The sacrifice, the carcass of the animal itself, is to be taken outside of the camp or outside of the city. And there it is to be burned in a holy place, burned with fire, completely consumed. And the person whose job it is to take it outside the city or outside the camp and burn it, he is considered to be unclean because the carcass has been treated as an unclean thing. The man who took it outside the city is considered to be unclean until he has washed his clothes and bathed his body. Then he can come back into the camp or into the city. The encampment or the congregation of the people is purified by a sacrifice that cannot be eaten. Many or most of the other sacrifices were mealtime. People could eat, but not this one. Not the atoning sacrifice. The blood that was sprinkled to purify the temple, the tabernacle. The carcass had to be taken outside the camp or the city. And it had to be treated as a polluted thing. It had to be destroyed and burned. That is the sacrifice that the apostle is referencing here in verse 11. He says, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. He's talking about the day of atonement sacrifice from Leviticus 16. It could not be eaten by the people or the priests. But the apostle would have his readers understand That in Christ, we have access to an atoning sacrifice that cleanses us from all sin. What was happening in Leviticus 16 was just a shadow, just a picture of what Jesus would do. Jesus, the one whose blood would cleanse us from all sin. He says, those who worship at the tabernacle have no part in this. Those who worship at the tabernacle, literally it means those who serve the tent, the tabernacle, have no part in this altar that we have. What's he saying? Those who persist, who reject Jesus as the fulfillment of everything of which the law was only a shadow, those who insist on continuing in the shadows, serving the shadows, they have no part in the one who fulfilled it all. They've got no part in Jesus. But we, who have trusted in Jesus, we don't serve the shadows. We don't serve the tent. That is, we serve the Savior. Not the shadows. The day of atonement sacrifice 
that was a picture of Christ's once for all sacrifice, it could not be eaten. But in Christ we have an altar, Christ himself, and we partake of his sacrifice. We partake of him. We have a sacrifice that can be eaten. In John chapter 6, verses 47 through 59. John 6, 47 through 59. Jesus, having just fed the multitude of 5,000 with those loaves and fishes, has gone over to the other side of the lake. The crowd catches up to him. They want some more of this food. Jesus says to them in verse 47, Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Some hard things that the Lord said, and the Jews weren't able to receive it. This man wants us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Jesus explained a little bit later on in the passage. He said, the words I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. I'm not talking literally to eat my flesh and literally to drink my blood, but nonetheless, the one who would be saved who would enter into a right relationship with God the Father must come through me and he must feed upon me by believing on me and receiving me as the sacrifice for his sins. You see, the Christian feeds upon Jesus by believing on him as Savior the atoning sacrifice who cleanses us from sin, who makes peace for us with God and purifies the temple where God dwells in the spirit with his people. That was the purpose of that day of atonement sacrifice that couldn't be eaten. It was to purify the people and to purify the temple. But what is the temple? The temple is the body of Christ, the church of God. We are built together as a spiritual temple wherein God dwells, where he resides. This holy temple is cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Just as the old covenant tabernacle was cleansed by the blood of the sacrificial animals on the day of atonement, those sacrificial animals could not be partaken of by the worshipers. But the new covenant's altar is open to all who by faith receive Jesus Christ. You see, the believer partakes of Christ, feeds upon him, 
draws life-sustaining spiritual nourishment from him, from his once-for-all sacrifice, and from the power of his eternal life. You see, it's a continual feast. It never ends. But it is a table that is open only to those who go to Christ Jesus as the only way, the only truth, the only life. The book of Leviticus described the sacrifices that were acceptable under old covenant worship. But what about under the new covenant? Are there any sacrifices that are acceptable to God? And that leads to our fourth and final point. What sacrifices are acceptable? Let's read a passage from earlier in our study of Hebrews. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 23, the apostle says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Notice a couple words here. Having been cleansed by the blood of Christ, we now have access into the sanctuary that is, the holy place. That sounds a lot like a place for priests to go, doesn't it? In fact, a priesthood is exactly what the apostles call us. The apostles say that those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their great high priest are a holy priesthood before God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 3-5. through 5. 1 Peter 2, 3-5. The apostle says, if you have tasted that the Lord is good as you come to him, a living stone rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. A holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what we are. So what kind of sacrifices do we, if we are a spiritual holy priesthood, what kind of sacrifices do we as new covenant priests offer acceptably to God through Jesus Christ? Verse 15 provides the answer. Therefore, through him, that is through Christ, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Our sacrifices are not bloody because Jesus has performed that once for all sacrifice of his own body and blood, which never needs to be repeated. Our sacrifices are the fruit of our lips, the overflow of grateful hearts in praise to God for reconciling us to himself through Jesus' death and resurrection. 
A sacrifice of praise to God involves the confession that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the only way by which we can be made right with God. Verse 16, don't neglect to do what is good and to share uh, that, that idea of sharing is fellowship. Whenever you read in the New Testament about fellowship, it has this idea of sharing, sharing experiences with each other in serving God, sharing ministry together, sharing resources together, sharing joy and suffering together, sharing. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share for God is pleased with such sacrifices. You know, I dare say that God is pleased with such sacrifices only because he is satisfied with Christ's sacrifice. Remember those words of Peter in 1 Peter 2, 5, where he says, You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Someone might say, you know, I'm a thankful person. I do good to others. I share what I have. I'm a good neighbor. I don't, I don't need Christianity in order to be a good person. But I will say to you, no amount of right living and good deed doing matters if the heart persists in a state of unyielding rebellion against God and against the one that he has sent to make you clean and make you right with him. Verse 12, Therefore Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. Jesus was treated by the religious leaders as an unclean thing to be dragged outside the city and destroyed. As the scripture says, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. And so it was, Jesus was hung upon a tree. He was made a curse. The one who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. To go to Jesus meant to leave the city, that is to leave the system that had executed him. It meant to bear the same shame that he himself had borne. But there was nothing in the old covenant that could actually make anyone clean. The only one who could make you clean was the one who had shamefully been treated as an unclean thing himself. The apostle is calling upon his hearers to risk it all. To risk the shame, to risk the scorn, to risk the personal loss that would come with being treated as an unclean thing in fleeing to the only one who can actually make one clean, Jesus, who suffered outside the gate. You see, apart from Christ, we're unclean. No amount of clean living and good deed doing will make you clean and right with God. We are unclean without Christ. The one who will not go outside the camp and confess the name of Jesus as the one who has fulfilled all righteousness and satisfied the wrath of a holy God against sin. That person has no part in the blessings of God that come only through Jesus. 
to the one who has fled to Jesus for peace with God. For these Christians who first heard the apostles' words here in Hebrews 13, going outside the camp meant abandoning the old covenant rituals and all of the trappings of a ceremonial religion that could only ever be a shadow of the substance that we have in Christ. Going outside the camp for them came with a cost. Shame, alienation, loss of property, status, fellowship, family relationships, persecution, perhaps even physical death. The apostle was calling upon his hearers to do no easy thing. Go outside the system and go to Christ. All of these things that they were risking were to be counted as nothing compared to the glory of knowing God's grace, his favor, his acceptance, and his approval, all won by the righteousness and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You know, going outside the camp, it may very well cost you and I as well. What camp is it that the Lord is asking you to step out of in order to confess the name of Jesus Christ? As we step out of the shadows and into the light of Jesus, let's ask these questions. What does true worship look like? And what kinds of sacrifices are we as new covenant priests to offer to God through Jesus? The answers are clear in the text. Sacrifices of praise, the fruit of lips that confess the name of Jesus, lives that square with what we profess, Sharing and doing good. Words and deeds that are made acceptable to God by being done, not apart from, but through Jesus Christ. When you think about it, words and deeds, what else is there? That's the whole of what and who we are. Words and deeds, that's all we have. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, word and deed, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that your word makes it clear to us what you find acceptable. What you find acceptable is the sacrifice that your son made for our sins to cleanse us and to bring us to you. And now as we live our lives through him before you, these sacrifices are acceptable and pleasing to you. The fruit of our lips in praise and thanksgiving for what you have done for us through Jesus. Our words, yes, but also our deeds in doing good, in sharing and fellowshipping with one another. Fellowshipping around this table where we partake of that sacrifice that Christ made. It's a continual feast that always nourishes us day by day. As we do pray, give us this day our daily bread. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that atoning sacrifice, 
which cleanses us from all sin and brings us to God so that we can acceptably offer up the sacrifices of praise, thanksgiving, fellowship, and good works. Be with you all today, this week, and forever. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.